Hello and welcome. Thanks so much for joining me today. In this episode, I'm going to discuss the practice of equanimity a little bit more. Um, and specifically, I'm going to talk about a question I received via email um, where um, this person was wondering how to practice equanimity when there's so many problems in the world. Or another way to think of this question is how to practice equanimity towards all beings when um, there are people out there who deliberately harm others and or take advantage of others for their own gain. So I thought this was a great question uh, for a few reasons. One reason is that, um, you know, within our equanimity practice, uh, this is challenging. So these kinds of questions, these kinds of struggles are going to come up. And to me, they're not necessarily a bad thing that they come up. Um, I would generally say these are a good thing because it means we're practicing. Often when I'm practicing meditation and uh, reflecting on the Dharma and or trying to deepen my study of a certain topic, I'm going to come against uh, or I'm going to come up against questions. And sometimes I'm going to come up against questions that challenge my beliefs or views or challenge me emotionally. And these are the points when we need to persevere in our study, reflection and meditation on uh, the Buddha Dharma not to become necessarily a believer, but to open up more questions about our beliefs, to open up more questions about the perspectives and, um, yeah, different ideas we hold, right? So I think this is one of the most valuable aspects of the traditional Buddhist path, is it offers us a way to look at reality differently, to look at our thoughts, emotions, identities in a different way, and to open up, hopefully, um, a more peaceful path, a more peaceful way, but also a way of seeing what the truth is, seeing a little bit more underneath um, what our human predicament is. Uh, the Buddha talked about this in the First Noble Truth of really working with and looking at our human predicament, uh, starting with the places that are a little bit more uncomfortable, that we don't necessarily want to look at. Um, and I think this can be another, you know, confusing point for people sometimes, where it seems like we're just looking at or working with something that is um, painful or uncomfortable, and we're emphasizing that. And that's not really it at all. It's just that we tend to not want to look at the uncomfortable. We tend to only want to uh, look at what's pleasurable or comfortable for us. And in that way, we uh, can sometimes stay blind to our own pain, our own suffering, our own dissatisfaction, and of course, the suffering and dissatisfaction of others. And this doesn't really open up truth. It kind of distracts us in a way. So I think this is one way to look at, um, obviously, uh, the, the, the first noble truth, the truth of, of dukkha or, or dissatisfaction or, or suffering. And then, of course, on our current topic today, it's a way to look at equanimity because equanimity is practiced within that context or paradigm of trying to understand the nature of our suffering of, as human beings and, and sentient beings in general, and trying to not only remedy that, but to have some way to wake up to an underlying truth of what are the causes of that, and to obviously remedy or remove those causes. That's one way to talk about the Dharma. Um, and so equanimity practice is for that purpose. And I think when we center it there, it really changes the dynamic of how we might practice it or look at it. So that's one aspect uh, of, of, you know, how I see this. 
But maybe it's helpful here to talk a little bit about what equanimity practice is. Um, there's a few different ways to look at this. I'm going to be talking about equanimity in relation to um, the four boundless states or the four immeasurables, which is a, a teaching uh, from the Buddha that we often work with. Some people might know this as the uh, four divine abodes or the four Brahma Viharas. Uh, there is a slight difference in the Theravada approach to this versus other Mahayana traditions. It's not a huge difference. I'm not going to emphasize it here. I just want to say that. So for some of you who you know, are listening to this and wondering why I'm speaking about it a little bit differently, that's because I'm going to be taking an approach from uh, more, more uh, Mahayana traditions, or in this case, more Tibetan Buddhist traditions. So the four boundless states, uh, boundless equanimity, boundless loving kindness, boundless compassion, and boundless joy. These are meant to be practiced as a unit. And in the Tibetan Buddhist systems, when we practice these, we generally work with equanimity first to create a, like a clean palette, a, a clean slate with others, to really work with our own biases of where we favor some, uh, distance ourselves from others, and then a third category where we kind of remain indifferent or a little bit apathetic uh, to, yeah, yet another uh, classification of those uh, we share this world with. So equanimity is the practice of opening up um, our biases, opening up our own habits, uh, behaviors, ideas, beliefs around those around us. Of course, it can also include our relationship to ourselves, like our thoughts and emotions. It doesn't just have to be about relationships uh, we have with other people or other beings, animals, etc. Um, it can be towards ourselves. But the point here is we're recognizing three different kinds of relationship. One relationship is one where we have some clinging, where we we really like the people, we we preference them, uh, we wish them well uh, because maybe they they do a little bit more for us or they do something likable, something we like, something we agree with, right? However, that that plays out. The second type is those we dislike, um, or maybe we don't dislike the person, but we really don't like something they did, and um, because of that, we tend to distance ourselves from this person, we tend to hold a type of negative bias where um, they're less worthy than the people we like or the people who do things that are more um, uh, likable or, you know, what, what we believe, etc. And then the third type, I would say, is the majority, which is, uh, again, you have to see in your case, I found it uh, to be true for me. Um, the majority is we're, we're more indifferent. It's like sort of... Um, someone who's more of a stranger, someone who we don't have really a strong connection to or like, and we also don't have a strong dislike. And so the majority of people in the world, um, if we really look at our motivations, intentions, the way we interact with them, it's more indifference. I mean, of course, when tragedy happens um, to a stranger, most of us do respond with, with, with you know, empathy, compassion, etc. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to respond as strongly as towards those we we like and or those we dislike, right? So you see what I'm getting at here. So the practice of equanimity is um, trying to pull out our biases. So that's why I, I gave this uh, context earlier on that, um, you know, that in itself is an uncomfortable practice. You know, we have to have some level of meditative awareness, some level of willingness to work with uh, what's uncomfortable. And again, I hope I made a, a very short case for it, and I can make a much longer case if you want, that 
um, we thrive and mature when we actually start to work with what's uncomfortable in our life. Um, I'm sure many of you know who are out there and have, you know, lived into uh, midlife or close to it. You know, as life goes on, it's not that things necessarily get easier. Um, even if people do end up in more physical comfort or wealth, still the body ends up um, getting sick, it ends up aging, etc. So it's not that life gets easier as we age. And so with age comes a, a maturity and a knowledge of that. And I think this is much harder when we're younger. So, you know, I started off in, uh, in my Buddhist studies when I was 20. And it was much more difficult to relate to some of these teachings because I just couldn't see, you know, th that suffering. But of course, I, I persevered, I meditated on it, I reflected on it, I tried to study the Dharma, and it made sense to me. And actually, you know, this has been helpful to me in my life because as I age, as I encounter more challenges and difficulties of just living, you know, the amount, amount of years on this on this earth, um, there's some... Uh, something that that flavors or something that influences my relationship to those challenges and difficulties via having worked with and studied the Dharma. Of course, I get overwhelmed. Of course, I have struggles that um, really can be challenging for me in my life. Um, it's not perfect. But I do think the Dharma has influenced um, that in a positive way for me, where I understand that it's worth it to work with something that's uncomfortable. So again, you're all going to have your own relationship to that. And what I recommend if you're interested in that is don't take the most difficult thing on in your life to work with. Uh, take on something that's smaller, like uh, for me often uh, temperature, like, like really cold or really hot, right? And, you know, I know I can do something about it because I can go in and turn the heat on or I can go in and turn air conditioning on in, in the modern world. But, um, you know, maybe I'll delay that and try to work with the experience or maybe, um, you know, I'll reflect on that a little bit deeper, my relationship to how the temperature is affecting my mood or energy or whatever. So again, whatever that means for you, something that's easier to work with and you start there, but you do it deliberately. And this is also what equanimity is about. Equanimity is about a deliberate reflection on these three kinds of relationships. Someone who is um, likable, someone who is dislikable, and then those we're more indifferent towards, right? And we might have many in these categories. And actually, sometimes we don't even know who's in these categories until we reflect on it. Because normally what we do is we just react. We react to people in these categories. We react to those we like um, by wanting them around more, um, by trying to, you know, cater to them and or to gain their, their um, uh, favor, right? Those we dislike, we do, <laughs> you know, all kinds of things, right? To, to get them out of our life, whatever. We, we, often we fight with them if, they're, if we can't necessarily get them out of our life right away. We, we, we struggle with them. And sometimes, of course, some people harm people, right, who, who they dislike, unfortunately. And then in that third category of indifference, we just sort of, you know, we don't notice. We remain more apathetic. So these are all types of reactions we need to get to know. But why? Is this so we can have more neutrality? Not really. Embedded in the question I received, I felt, was this sense of like, well, how do I work with people who do a lot of harm in the world? How do I, how do I stay neutral to them? And my answer is you don't stay neutral. <laughs> what you do is you stay aware of your reactions. You stay aware of your relationships to these three kinds of people, right? 
And what we try to do in equanimity practice is we try to deepen our understanding of them. I think this is one of the key ways to grow our loving kindness and compassion um, in our meditation, as well as just as a human being in a more boundless way, is we need to take an interest in people, right? And this can be as simple as just, you know, watching someone. Uh, it can be asking questions about them. I'm not saying asking other other people questions necessarily. There can be internal questions like, you know, why is this person this way? Or, you know, what happened to them in their life? Or what are they trying to achieve with this kind of action or behavior? Um, again, for me, sometimes I'll just just watch someone's body language, you know, not in a creepy way, but in a way that I'm, I'm really interested in their well-being and I want to get to know them. I want to understand them. You know, often I, I do this with those I'm more close to because, you know, I want to be able to have better communication with those I'm close to. I want to be able to have more empathy for their experience and I want to understand them more. And so in general, equanimity can really help us with this because first of all, we're understanding our biases. And it's not that we're trying to remove them, it's just that we're trying to understand them. Of course, over time, they can lessen and we can have more of an equanimous attitude to, towards all beings. But I think the point more is in understanding others. And then as we really pursue this, again, this is going to be an experience that you'll have to develop if you haven't already. But as we pursue this, we really start to see what motivates um, others, which is not so different from what motivates us, is that we're all trying to find more happiness. We're all trying to find more peace. And then, of course, as part of that journey, you, we have a bias that when we have something uncomfortable, that's not peaceful, and therefore we need to get rid of it. So a lot of us are functioning just on that basic premise, whether that's conscious or unconscious, right? If we really look at everything in our life, we could see that's an underlying uh that's like the fuel for our underlying behavior. Now, again, you don't have to believe me. This is a reflection, something I've reflected on that I see in my own life. That doesn't mean it necessarily applies to you. But I think if we see that, we can also see one way that others are engaging in that. And what this means is that even those who create a lot of harm in the world, they're seeking peace. Now, I know that sounds odd, and that might also sound dismissive or how do you say it? Mm, like, like I'm accepting someone's bad behavior, and that's not at all what I'm implying here. We could simultaneously see that someone is causing harm because they're trying to get some happiness. They're trying to get some peace, or they're trying to resolve something, right? Whether that's to fulfill something they're clinging to, like money or, or power or whatever, or if it's to fulfill getting rid of a dislikable person or, or group of people or whatever. So what I'm saying is the person's underlying motivation is a basic human one that we all have. Now, to get to the other side of it, the action might be really harmful to others and therefore that's not acceptable, right? I think that should be clear. I think that should be kind of obvious, but I'm just saying it here because sometimes in this kind of conversation, people might assume we're then accepting someone's bad behavior or there's not consequences for something that's harmful. No, of course there are and there should be, right? But if we do that by creating this very dualistic good and evil, right? What we do is we end up demeaning our own uh, ethics, right? We end up 
demeaning ourselves. We end up demeaning those around us because what it means is there's an other that is unworkable. There's an other that's out there that is evil and therefore, you know, needs to be dealt with and destroyed, right? And the truth is, they're looking for the same things we are at its base. Maybe they have different means or they're confused, right, about what creates happiness. But essentially, they're looking for happiness. They're looking for peace. So equanimity practice helps us to see that. And why is that important? Initially, because it relieves us of our aggression and passion, right? In the sense that we can see more clearly into our own clinging. We can see more clearly into our own aggression and anger, which from a Buddhist perspective is a huge cause of suffering for us. And if we can remedy that, we find more internal peace and we're able, my belief is, we're able to find more skillful means to work with others in the world, right? So I want to just put this out there as sort of something to reflect on. Does more, does adding more aggression to an aggressive, aggressive person's actions fix the situation? Ultimately, I'm not talking about temporarily, I'm talking about ultimately, right? No, I think most of us listening to this would say, you can see when there's an aggressive action that's, that's in response to another aggressive action, it just perpetuates aggression, right? And that's an endless cycle. And we can see this in the world uh, through different forms of tribalism and politics and all that, right? And so th this approach, this dharmic approach is to first understand one, one's own aggression and clinging and indifference. And to somewhat, you know, through that understanding, to remedy a preference, to be able to abide in a more peaceful, open, compassionate heart that then can have much more wisdom in the skillful means of how to deal with problems in the world. So that's my premise here. All right, something for you to reflect on. But this question really triggered it for me because I think this is difficult for us to see when good and evil is so dualistic. But when we cease to see good and evil, right, through something like equanimity practice or other kinds of Buddhist practice, what opens is a whole new way to look at solutions and or ways to work with others in the world, right? So, so I hope this is, this is helpful to you in your practice. I hope these are interesting reflections for you. Um, of course, it's very challenging where the rubber meets the road. I just want to say that. Like, so how do we bring consequences for someone who is violent towards others and or harming others? What kinds of, what do those consequences look like? What is uh, that, that, you know, we want to use the word rehabilitation or whatever. Or we want to say, um, yeah, how do we integrate them into society? I don't have any answers for this, you know, <laughs> this isn't my job. But what I do believe is we need to start with our own internal world. And when that shifts, I believe that the outer world can start to shift in different ways that we can't even imagine yet. It's like, it's like a world we can't imagine because we're inhabiting a different world. So from a Buddhist perspective, our world is, is here, essentially. Our world starts here, right? Meaning it starts with our own views, it starts with our own beliefs, it starts with our own ideas and emotional uh, reactions, right? coming from what we believe and think. So if we don't shift those, how are we going to expect the outer world to shift? You know, so I, I, when, you, when you really reflect on this, it starts to look really ridiculous <laughs> how much we spend our time 
trying to change something outside of us, right? I'm not saying we shouldn't, you know, have have certain laws and or, you know, like I said, consequences, con- consequences or things like that. So don't get me wrong. We need that temporarily. But what do we want to look at as a society? How do we want to interact with each, with each other? How do we want to grow more wise, deeper ways, uh, more profound ways of working together? And again, I mean that working together. So I think if we dissolve this idea of good and evil, we can actually work together, right? So just some food for thought based on uh, uh, this question that I thought was really interesting. And if you want to know more about equanimity practice, I have some uh, guided meditations online. You can always check those out. And uh, yeah, feel free to reach out as well. So thanks so much. I hope this was helpful. Look forward to seeing you soon.